George Bernard Shaw once said, the single biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it's taken place. My next guest on the Reset podcast is Oscar Trimboli, and Oscar is an expert on listening. He's he's written a book, How to Listen, and he's taught people all over the world how to connect, communicate, and listen better with everyone else. Um, I think listening is a little bit like sex and driving. We all think we're good at it, but I'm not sure we all are. Um, One of the things he talks about in, in this podcast is the characteristics of good listener. They need to be curious, they need to be flexible, and they need to be open. Listening is a contact sport, and Oscar's going to teach you how to play it better. I hope you enjoy the Reset Podcast today with Oscar Trimboli. Awesome. All right, Oscar Trimboli, welcome to the Reset Podcast. Now tell me, how do we need to reset how to listen? Oh, well, g'day. I think, Luke, the number one thing we need to do is realise that we were born great listeners. And we've watched other people growing up, whether that's a teacher or a parent or an auntie or an uncle or a grandparent, and through their role modelling, they've taught us how to listen. And we've kind of conformed to a bunch of social norms as a result. We think it's really important to speak more than we listen. So I would say reset your mindset and realise that the very first skill you learned when you're in your side, your mother's tummy, was listening because at 32 weeks you could distinguish your mother's sound from any other sound and you could distinguish music at 36 weeks. You could distinguish Beethoven from Bon Jovi from the Beatles and Justin Bieber. So I think the reset is go back to how we were before we had a whole bunch of norms placed around us because I don't know about you, Luke, I I didn't go to a listening class at school. I didn't have a listening teacher. I didn't have a listening subject. So we've all absorbed it through what other people do for us. Yeah, I guess guess that makes a really good point that you can hear your mum from 32 weeks and for that first like 12 months of your life, you actually can't talk. So you you don't really have a choice but to but to listen. You 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 can and you are because you you know for for the minute you're born you come into the world kicking and screaming and although you can't use language you can make yourself heard. So Mm. I think a lot of a lot of people confuse lots of talk and lots of stories with communication. And my invitation to everybody is just just balance. You know, can you ask a question that makes you curious? Can you just pause and be comfortable with silence? Can you notice what they haven't said, not just what they have said? So I think for all of us, uh, listening's paradoxical. It's quirky. It's abstract. It's nuanced because we don't know how. We think we're better listeners than what we are. <laughs> yeah. One of the things we talk about in the book is that idea of, being able to listen, and I call it being truly curious, like to ask mm-hmm. a question. A lot of us ask questions where we're prompting a certain answer, all right? We're kind of we're fishing for whatever answer we want to hear. And I, I'm really interested to hear your take on this. How can we ask a question so that it, it's obvious that we're truly curious about the answer and we want to listen? I'd, I'd really love your take on how to do that better. Uh, a good listener asks questions for clarification for their own understanding. So a good listener is asking questions merely to advance the listener's understanding. But the dirty little secret of listening is when done well, a listener changes the way a speaker communicates and a listener helps the speaker understand their thinking and what they're meaning. And to understand why it's so important not to ask questions about what they've said, but to ask questions about what they haven't said, know this, that people think at, on average, 900 words per minute. If you work in an environment that's complex, that's collaborative, that's competitive, that's resource constrained, you're probably thinking it up to 1,600 words per minute. Unfortunately, you can only speak at between 125 to 150 words on average per minute, Luke. Mm. 
That means the first thing somebody says is 14% of what they think and what they mean. Great listeners ask questions that help the speaker, not themselves. If all you know that by asking an additional question, you'll get another 14% out of them. But I don't know about you, Luke, the odds of 14% for anything, they're not good odds for me, Brian. Take it up to 28%, you're heading in the right direction. And sometimes the most powerful thing you can do to listen to what's not said is to simply do this. And there's no coincidence that the word silent and the word listen share exactly the same letters. And in the West, we call it the pregnant pause, the awkward silence, the deafening silence. We have this unusual relationship with silence. So just be in that moment when somebody's speaking and notice that the moment they draw breath, that doesn't mean that they've finished what they're saying or what they're thinking. It just means they're taking a moment to collect their thoughts. We know from the research we've done, we're tracking 1,410 listeners for the last four years. When you listen and ask questions about what the speaker's thinking, conversations are shorter, they're more meaningful, and you get to what matters to the other person. So you deepen a relationship, but in a commercial or a business context, It means you don't do rework. It means the quality of the work you deliver the first time is probably what the other person asked for. So back to your question, the dirty little secret of listening is good listeners focus on content. Great listeners are asking questions to notice what the speaker hasn't said. So listen carefully and notice what they haven't said and your meetings, ironically, will be shorter. And I guess that's where one of the tools you use in your workshops is is the one where you use silence, but then you also ask, and what else? Have I got that right? Can, can you explain what you do with that one? Because I really, I, I haven't done it, but I think I'd like to because it sounds really intriguing. <laughs> can, you, can you tell me how that works? Because that, that, I, I love the expression that silence can do the heavy lifting sometimes. Yeah, and if I zoom into a workshop I did in 2015 with a, a fast-growing company, they brought me in to facilitate a workshop with 12 of their leaders. And the reason they brought me in, although they were growing at 32%, their competitors were growing at triple digits. So although the growth in this market was awesome, they were starting to compare themselves and compete on a global stage. And it It was 12.35 and the CEO was kind of getting to the point where the lunch was coming and he just wasn't in the zone. Anyway, we were asking the group to describe the organisation simply as what sort of animal is it? And everybody, everybody except one person described it identically a swooping bird of prey, an eagle, an osprey, or a cheetah. All these were fast-moving animals that adapted quickly, and they were competing against prey. At five to one, the CEO was kind of tapping on the table and pointing to his watch as if to say, hey, wrap it up because the food's here. But we hadn't heard from Lynn. Lynn was the last person to speak, a card-carrying member of the introvert community. You know she was a (laughs) card-carrying member of the introvert community because when you say to people, put your hand up if you're an extrovert, you have to kind of say, hey, I didn't say stand up. I said, put your hand up. And a true introvert, if you ask them to put their hand up, they won't put their hand up. Right. Now, now, what happened was really interesting. I, we'd, we'd gone through 11 of 12 people. Food was already on the table and the laser beam, if this was a comic strip from the CEO's eyes into the back of my head, would have exploded my head. <laughs> it's like, you know, come on, why do we need to hear from the last person? Everybody said exactly the same. 
And I only turned towards Lynn. I didn't make eye contact with her. I didn't say anything. And then I just reached my palm out to gesture to her as an invitation. And she simply said, I thought it was obvious. And she paused. And the sea, you could feel the tension in the room. And, and she paused and I extended a hand a little bit further and she said, I thought it was obvious. I thought we were a snake. Now, look what's going through your mind when you think of a snake. What are the characteristics of a snake? Well, a little bit you're thinking they're sort of, you know, they, they snap at people, but they also do a few things. They, they hide in the bushes and they, they also shed their skin. Um, so there's a couple of things that are in that with a snake, but, um, I sort of think a bit about it being probably a bit slippery and a bit slimy, which I, I wouldn't have thought you'd want to be describing your company like that. In the West, we have an anchor story in Christian traditions and Judaic traditions and Islamic traditions of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden being tempted by a snake. Mm-hmm. It's taught to kids at every age. So that's why you have this perspective. What you don't know about Lynn, she was from a different culture altogether. She was from a culture in the north of Asia. She was from a Chinese culture. And she continued to say, I thought we were a snake. We've forgotten to shed our skin every season. And the systems and processes that we have from the past are not serving us for the future. And you could feel the tension evaporate in the room. And you know what, Luke, for the next 25 minutes, there was this huge debate about what was holding them back from systems processes, the way they talk to customers and everything. Everyone had forgotten about the food, including the CEO. Now, as a result of this conversation, they made little toys out of snakes, little beanie toys, and it became internal logos and product code names were named after snakes. And this story completely changed the way the conversation happened for the rest of the day. Instead of being this aspirational, fast-moving, prey-eating organisation, which they quite frankly weren't, it it took a very considered introvert to synthesize what wasn't being said in the room because everybody was trying to be socially acceptable and just copying the next person. But Lynn had the courage to basically say that. Now, in her culture, a snake means something completely different. In fact, in a lot of early medieval cultures, snakes were a sign of uh, medicine, a sign of pharmacy, a sign of healing, yet in the West we have this awkward relationship and you had to pause to go the extra mile to get her to explain not just the snake but what the snake meant. Now, one the clock forward two years, that company took the number one position. Their growth was completely different because they'd built systems and processes that were fit for purpose for the growth they were trying to achieve. Too many of us want to get to lunch and not have mm-hmm. the real conversation. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is a tough one too, because that, as a a card carrying extrovert, um, I, I one of the habits I try and change is to not be that person that blurts out straight away, which is really hard when you want to. But yeah, so don't, don't, Luke. Please do not, extroverts. Please just use this simple phrase. What most people don't realize about extroverts is they need to verbalize to think, whereas introverts need to reflect to think so please when you're speaking at the beginning of a meeting maybe folks aren't as familiar with you just say look um i need to talk to process how i think it doesn't mean that just because my ideas are coming out at you know a great pace it's right or wrong there is nothing wrong with the introverts expressing their thinking, as long as the group knows that's your communication style. So equally to the introverts, please don't wait in the background till the last 10% of the meeting and throw a hand grenade inside in that's going to blow up the progress of the meeting. Make sure everybody understands how they communicate 
And it won't matter what your communication preference is, as long as the group acknowledges that there are a variety. And I think too many times there are negative labels put to introverts and extroverts. There's nothing wrong with how they communicate. It is just how they communicate. The missing piece in that communication equation is just everybody saying, this is how I process the world. Mm -hmm. If we say that, it's really simple. Yeah, okay. So one because one of the things with that too is that there's there's no correlation between introverts and extroverts and the quality of their ideas. So I guess that's is is that up to a leader to be able to hear what's not said and to be able to get the ideas out of the introverts in the room that may well have really good ideas but they're not quite as confident and perhaps can't express them quite as well in the first place. So I, I guess that depends a lot on leadership and how well they are, how good they are at getting those ideas out of the people that it doesn't come to naturally. Yeah, I think a good leader in a room will use the group and get them to listen to whoever's speaking, right? So a good listener as a host is focusing the group on the active speaker. A great listening host is actually getting the group to listen to each other. It's the difference between a hub and spoke where you make yourself the central point of failure as a host, as a leader, if you get everybody to kind of focus on one person, you're fragile by design in that team meeting. If you can get everybody to listen to everybody else, that's really powerful. The question is how do you do it? Mm. As a as a leader, one of the things I see, I do listening audits for chairs, executive teams, leadership teams, safety teams. Listening audit. Care. Can you unpack yeah. that for me a little bit? Yeah, well, I will literally just sit in on their meeting and for the first 30% of the meeting, I'll observe, I'll listen to what's going on, then we'll do a quick debrief. But here's what I observe quickly in these meetings. Um a, a, a good meeting host uh, will have a outcome they're trying to get to. A, a great meeting host will ask everybody at the beginning of the meeting, what will make this a good conversation for you? Even if there's 10 people in the room, everybody goes, oh, my God, this is so slow. You know what's even slower? Misunderstanding. You know what's even slower? Confusion, chaos, and conflict because people aren't communicating what they mean. If you say to everybody, what will make this a good meeting for you, then what happens is you create the reason to listen to another person. Why? Because if I'm going to listen to Luke, Luke now needs to understand why he should listen to me. And as a result, in doing so, you're creating an environment in that meeting where everybody is focused on supporting each other, not just getting their point across. Because now, one of the things you want to do as a leader, every 25% of the meeting, so that's 15 minutes into a one-hour meeting in a workplace typically, check in with the group or the couple of people who've spoken or haven't spoken at the beginning of the meeting. You said you wanted to get this out of the meeting. How are we going? And this is where our deep listening Research trackers tell us this is where the meetings shorten. If you have what will make this good conversation set up and you check in, quite often they'll say something like, actually, I've got all I need. Yep. And I'm done now. Can- I can We can tap out now. Thanks, Oscar. We're out of here. But, but a lot of us will just go through a whole bunch of performative, oh, well, the meeting's an hour, so we have to stay for an hour. Mm. This is about listening at the fifth level of listening and making sure that you're listening for what people mean, not just what they say. So if, if you can get that up front, Luke, that's mm. creating an environment where not only everybody listening to the current person speaking, but they're listening out for others in the meeting as well. Because sometimes what other people do is they'll ask a question on behalf of a purpose. Uh, look, at the beginning of the meeting, I heard Luke uh, you know, say this would make it a good meeting for him about the customer perspective. I've also got a question about the customer perspective, but I'll let Luke go first, all right? 
That's that's completely plausible. And then Luke goes first, and they say that was the same issue I had. Right. All of a sudden, we realise that two people out of ten have got this issue. Well, we should probably discuss it, as opposed to one out of ten. But the person who got referred back to then, I'd I'd like Luke to go first. Mm. That person then is, wow, these people are actually listening to me and at least someone's interested in what we got to say here and and I guess that (laughs) increases engagement and gets everyone sort of thinking and listening and getting truly curious. It it creates an unbelievably different work environment. It's a different level of consciousness, not just because the host is creating that environment, but they're role modeling to everybody else in the room. Hey, if I'm not here, make sure you do that when I'm not here as well. The number one thing I would wish on everybody, whether it's one-on-one or in group settings, by the way, if you're in bigger groups or you're in virtual groups, ask that question in the chat. Now, don't talk when you ask that question. Just let people type the answer in the chat. And then all of a sudden, not only can you see what everybody's wanting out of the meeting, everybody else can as well. A really powerful, simple tool. In a one-on-one or in group meetings, ask that question. What will make this a great conversation? Now, what we know, Luke, in in our research, when it's a one-on-one, And people say, hey, Luke, what will make this a great conversation? Don't say what will make this a great conversation for you because it's actually not about you. It's about the two people together. What will make this a good conversation? Only 28% of people ask the opposite when that person says, hey, Luke, what will make this a great meeting? Only 28% Luke of the Lukes of the world will ask Oscar the same question. Now, if they don't ask you that same question, because we know two-thirds won't, simply say, thanks, Luke, and what would make this a great conversation from my perspective is blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay. That, that, that's the foundation. The most important thing is doing something with that every 25% of the meeting. Hey, Luke, at the beginning, you said it was this. How are we going against that? It does two things. It signal you listen to what Luke said at the beginning of the meeting and you're also checking in to go on track, off track, on track, off track. Yeah. When you when you ask that on track, off track question, that's where the meeting's short and, and more importantly, if we're off track, we've created an environment for Luke to say we're off track where normally we don't check in. Okay. So I guess that, that really does come down to whoever's chairing the meeting or the or the hippo in the room or whoever's whoever's sort of the boss, if they're showing that they're, that they're listening and that they're staying on those tracks and they're hearing what people want to get out of it, then, yeah, all of a sudden meetings can definitely get shorter because they know they're finding what they want to find. Don't give up your power to the boss. Everybody's a leader. If you're in that room, you can influence the conversation as well. If the boss doesn't ask that question, You've heard this podcast. There's nothing stopping you asking that question to the boss at the beginning of the meeting if they don't ask, hey, boss, what will make this a great conversation? Yeah, right. By the way, boss, this is what will make this a good conversation from my perspective. I think too many of us just give up our power to people with titles and we don't realise the power we hold as individuals to lead in a conversation. So now you have the keys to communication please use them. Don't sit back. Don't get frustrated. Don't get anxious or don't get in a situation where they they don't ask you any questions. That's not their fault. They haven't gone to the listening class. They haven't heard this awesome podcast with Luke. What you want to do, use the power of your own self-leadership and ask that question yourself. Right. And then if you don't get get it back, you can just ask the what would make it good for me is this. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I like that. I like yeah. that. Can, can you tell me about some of the things that you do in your workshops? Because you, you go around to companies all around the world and, and teach <laughs> people how to get better at listening. What, what are, I don't want you to give away all, all of your nuggets, but um, what, what oh, sort I'm of things to, do you mate. do That's in that, no mate? I'd, I'd, love to, <laughs> I'd love to hear how, how they'd work and what are some of the things that you would do in these workshops that that get teams to to actually get connect and and listen to each other a bit better? Yeah, first thing is uh, the workshop is part of a continuum and the same is true for a meeting. Listening happens before 
during and after a conversation. And how we role model this in a workshop context is we always ask the host of this meeting to invite the participants to take the listening quiz at listeningquiz.com where they can answer 20 questions in seven minutes and get a personalized report to tell them what their listening barriers are. Now, remember, Luke, no one's had any listening training. Only 2% of workplace professionals have had any listening training whatsoever. So number one, it's not about the workshop. It's about preparing the participants for a journey of change that will continue beyond the workshop as well. In the workshop itself, we present back to the group who took the quiz, here's your listening profile as a group. Oh, we present their listening profile as a group against their industry average and against their professional average as well. So if it's a group of an accountants or a group of engineers, we'll pull the data and show them that. Then we simply say, what does this mean for your listening in the context of safety, for example, for engineers, profitability in the case of accountants? And then we have a really wonderful discussion with the group. We put them in pairs and they have a conversation And I'll go, look, before we do the debrief of the last five minutes of dialogue that you just had, I'm not really interested in what you're saying. That was a listening exercise. Tell me how your listening barriers showed up and everybody does this and they go, oh, the, you know, the three-card trick, you know, like a comedian with a punchline. And everybody realized that the minute they go into a dialogue, these listening villains show up for them. So it's a really deep, rich experience from their point of view, but that can only happen if they've listened to themselves before through the quiz. We've got a wonderful jigsaw puzzle exercise where we get people to put 60 pieces in a jigsaw puzzle together, and what they realise really quickly is that everybody goes into their narrow little team silos and nobody collaborates across other groups to figure out how to improve by listening to other departments, and it becomes a beautiful metaphor there as well. We do a lot of interactive Q&A, like I don't keep the Q&A for the end. It's sort of like real time all the time. And then at the end, we say, your journey has only started today. Please enroll in the 90-day listening challenge where you'll get one email a week for 13 weeks to keep you on track. So I don't want to create a workshop per se, Luke. I don't want to lift performance for an hour, half a day, a day, three days, whatever the organization picks. I want to shift the performance permanently of the organization, how they orientate their listening, because whether it's customer care, whether it's sales, whether it's accounting, whether it's legal, whether it's engineering, whether it's quality, they all consistently say that their outcomes can be improved by being able to ask those curious questions and just listen a little longer to the next 125 words. I guess when you do do that, you know, over the 13 weeks, you're not just getting a little blip in your listening skills. You're actually getting a proper uptick in the graph that hopefully will become a habit and it'll be just something that you do. This is the way I listen now. And I guess you can't do that in the space of, you know, a half-day workshop, can you? You've got to actually go out and put it into practice and and keep going over those processes in your head. Um, there, were, there was a, a, a thing that we talked about. I can't remember whether it was in your book or in one of the podcasts I listened to with you, where you use the words, tell me more. Mm. Um, can, you, can you explain how those three words can come in really handy and, and sort of improve your listening, but also improve what the person's actually telling you? Because often the thing that you hear first isn't the most important thing. The thing how does that bring out the thing that's unsaid, I guess? One of the things I want everyone to be aware of is random questions for understanding, meaning yours as the listeners, doesn't actually help the speaker help you or help themselves. In academic literature, one of the things they say is that questions with more than eight words are biased. Now, that's not to say that questions that are biased are good or bad. It's just whether they're appropriate for the outcome you're trying to work with. So the shorter your questions, the more open they are and the more likely they are to help the speaker connect with their thinking. 
When you ask these questions and tell me more is one of the questions I'll share with you. This is what will happen for the speaker. Their head will shift on the top of their neck. Their breathing will change. They will typically sigh. They'll go, hmm. And they'll use words like, actually, now that I think (laughs) about it, they'll use, and by the way, their eye position and their point of focus will shift in their gaze. They'll say, hmm. You know what? You know what I haven't told you? Now that I think about it a little longer, we should probably discuss this other department that I haven't even mentioned. And what you're doing is you're getting to the next 125 words and the next 125 words, and you're getting closer to what they mean. So those, there are three phrases I recommend in the book. The first one, tell me more. And Tell me more if you're not in a relationship with somebody, you don't have a rapport, um, is going to come across pretty harsh. People's like, well, tell me more. I just told just you already. Make, just make, just, exactly. So just make it your own and put some words on either side of it to make it human. Okay. So I, I will often say, mm, I'm curious, Luke, could you tell me a little more? Wow. Yeah, I love it. That's fascinating. Tell me a little more. Hmm. I didn't realize that. Tell me more. Yeah, beautiful. Good, good, good bridge. Uh, depending on the relationship you have with them, uh, you could say, say more. You know, you've been in a relationship with somebody in a work or other context a little longer. You can simply make it down to two words say more. Um, the other phrase that's really powerful is simply, Tell me more helps people to listen to themselves for similarities. And this next phrase is going to help them listen to themselves for differences. So the second phrase is, and what else? This is termed the or question, A-W-E, by Michael Bungay Stanya in his book, The Coaching Habit. In this phrase, you're trying to move from having somebody on a road, on a railway track, on a laser beam path, and when you say, and what else, you're broadening it out. You're getting them to think in a more divergent way than a convergent way. And again, don't say, tell me more, and what else? Because all you do is create (laughs) an impression that you're not really listening. Therefore... You could have, if you're in a relationship and you know someone well, and I've done this with with folks in workshops that I know, I simply say, hmm, and? A very curious and will expand their way of thinking about it. It's either, and I didn't even think about an and, and, and now that I've thought about it, I've forgotten about the competition in this conversation. I've forgotten about the regulators. I've forgotten about the media. I've forgotten about doesn't matter. Your job is to simply ask those three phrases. And your facial expression was completely different in those too. The one with the eyebrows up and then, you know, looking up to your left and stuff like that. It's it's like it it portrays a different meaning to the same word, doesn't it? it? Which what you do with your face at the same time. Absolutely. And one of the things I want everyone to be conscious of is, uh, Some people are visual listeners. They listen with their eyes first, then with their ears. And some people are auditory. They listen with their ears first, then their eyes second. The easiest way to think about this is when you're watching uh, something that's recorded, listen for the first uh, five minutes with your eyes open and then listen for the next five minutes with your eyes closed. See if you can notice any difference. By the way, on this podcast, You can do exactly the same as well. Listen with your eyes closed for the remaining conversation and notice the difference. You'll hear voice inclination very differently. You'll hear emotion differently. And it zooms me into one of those audits, Luke, where I was brought in by a chair of a board, a very complex organisation dealing with a lot of change. And I was told, watch that woman over there because she's not engaged with the board. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting way to give me a brief. Anyway, I watched the whole group dynamic, not just her, because you've got to listen at a system level rather than the individual ingredients. 
And the morning tea break came, so 9 till 11, we sat down. I, I asked this director, I said, tell me how you concentrate. And she said, I get very distracted by visuals, slides that are really complex and don't make sense. I concentrate better by having my eyes and my gaze down either on my feet, on the table, on my notes, somewhere that's not going to create distraction. I said, yes, I. your questions tell me you are listening very intently. I said, have you communicated that to the group? She says, what do you mean? I said, simply say that visuals distract me and the way I concentrate and listen intently is by putting my gaze down. She said, of course, no problem. So she did that at Everybody the at, and the group dynamic changed immediately. Again, back to that introvert, extrovert spectrum, Luke, communicate about how you communicate. You will change the dynamic in the team. Anyway, lunch break came and the chair said to me, Oscar, you can probably leave right now because the dynamics completely changed. And I said, I'd love to, but the only reason I'm in this room is because of you. And I'm interested in your assumption that was holding you back about the performance of this director. You see, well, what you don't know about the chair was they were a brand new chair and they didn't really understand the group dynamic because they were brought in externally. And he said, oh, so now it's all about me. I said, unfortunately, yes, it's always about the leader in the room and I'll be spending the rest of my time that you paid me for today ensuring that you're listening in an effective way to lift the performance of this group. So be, be conscious. So How did that go over? I, I created rapport and value so it wasn't a problem yeah, right. um, because at the afternoon tea break, he literally jumped towards me and said, how am I, how am going? I going with my listening? Am I doing better? And, and and I simply said, how would you contrast how you were listening this morning compared to this afternoon? And he said, it's completely different, isn't it? I said, if you say so. And uh, he goes, you just did it to me, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I asked you a question. I didn't answer your question because it makes more sense when the person self-assesses where they're at. Now, that chair has become an amazing source of referral for me and I've got much more work than the one day I did with that team listening audit from that chair than I ever would if I, if I spent two, three, four, the next. When it's done well, listening short, sharp, you can get the feedback and, and, and it makes a big difference. Therefore, Luke, thank you so much for noticing the visuals and the way you reflected on the animation in my face compared to that. Because a lot of people, if their eyes are glued to their connected watch, their phones, their laptops, their tablets, they can't notice the change in somebody's mm -hmm. visual animation. And there is a lot of communication happening, not only in the face, but with hands, with body position, leaning in versus leaning out, these are all critical things because listening is about what you hear, what you see, and it's also about what you sense. Where are they at emotionally? So thanks for that. Yeah. I'd love one more, one more question, Oscar, and this one, this one's a little bit personal. I, I have an issue with these things. Mm -hmm. This is a shiny squirrel for people that are listening to this and haven't seen it. Um, I get distracted way easier than I'd like to, and it's something that I'm really working on. One of the traits I'm trying to get better at is being more present. And I think your book helped me with that, and I'd love to know your, your top tip or two tips on how to actually how to catch yourself when, you, when you're being distracted, how to actually stay more present and, and listen a little bit better if you could. What are, what are some of the things we should be looking out for to do that? All right. So, Luke, grab your squirrel for a sec. Yeah, here he is. Has your squirrel got a name? <laughs> no, it's just, it's just the shiny squirrel. Okay. So I want you to connect with what's the upside of distraction? I guess you get to see things from a few different angles and you get to look at other options and you can, you can be a little bit more outside the box when you're distracted. And sometimes mm -hmm. that's great. 
but you know sometimes it's you know you're not giving people the attention that they they deserve and and should get and what else do you think distraction brings to you besides looking at it differently it just makes me less focused on what I'm doing and I end up wandering off on tangents that just don't help. So it's probably, most of the time it's actually not a positive thing, but sometimes sometimes it is, but most of the time it's not. Okay, so go and connect with the sometimes it is. Mm-hmm. Go back to a time when it was. Yeah, I guess even, even this morning I was reading, reading a book and it had a couple of things in the book about receiving um, – 360 degree feedback and just went, wow, how could we, how could we do that in a way that was truly curious? I I love those two words together. I love truly and curious together. And I think when you listen well, it actually gives that impression that you're truly curious, that Mm. you're not asking questions just to prompt whatever answer you want to hear. You're truly curious in understanding what, what, what Oscar has to say and was looking at this thing and then kind of got distracted from looking at the book and went off into my tangents of how we could actually do feedback better. And in that sense, it was really good because I came up with some great ideas for it. But um, I find the shiny squirrel isn't quite so good when I'm, when I'm interacting with people and I'm kind of got a little bit bored in whatever they're saying and go drifting off. Mm. I, asked, I asked for feedback from some of the team I used to lead and there was a standing joke, which I didn't know about at the time, that was, oh, yeah, you can tell when he glazes over and you've lost him and we just end the conversation there. Fortunately, I, as a leader, I was quite good and actually had put stuff in the bank, so that was okay. But it's not really okay. You, sh- you should be able to maintain the focus, and that person's important. You should be able to maintain the focus for it, even when the, the interest in what they're talking about might have gone. Now that you've had some time to think out aloud by verbalising... Is that the question you want to ask me about the shiny squirrel? Or have you got a slightly different question about the shiny squirrel? Oh, you are good, aren't you? <laughs> you are good. He's got skills, people. This man has got skills. No. So while, while you're thinking of that, um, for those listening, I'm sure you can appreciate what I've just done by not answering the question, which if you're leaders in an organisation, the monkey's always on your back to mix our metaphors here with squirrels and monkeys. Don't answer the question because my suspicion was that Luke was overlaying meaning that was negative with shiny squirrels. So I took the opposite approach and I want to raise Luke's consciousness to go, distraction is not good or bad. It's when is it appropriate and when is it productive? And what I want Luke to just connect with right now while we're talking to each other and Luke's just reflecting on this is we set up these false binaries very regularly, good and bad, red and blue, all these things, right and wrong. And the shiny squirrel is bad because it distracts us. Well, distraction's not bad. In fact, some of the greatest breakthroughs in art, in math, in physics, the current Fields Medalist, uh, that's an award for the best mathematician under the age of 40, took off two years to learn poetry. But in learning poetry, he discovered a breakthrough in the way he was thinking about the connection between the numbers he was trying to figure out. Now, I know nothing about math, so I just happen to read the article. But the point is simple. and Distraction is a pressure release for your brain. Uh, distraction can be useful. Now, the thing is, if it's a uh, pathology, if it's all you do, you're perpetually distracted and you don't create any value or output, <laughs> yeah, yeah. distraction is going to be an issue. I suspect that's not the case for you, but I also suspect that you're your harshest critic, right? Sometimes. Yeah. I'm also and my biggest fan too, so yeah, it's not just all the way. Just the way you described yourself when the, the group was giving you feedback and the way you described yourself with a shiny object. All right, so back to you, Luke. What's the question you really want to ask now? 
just basically how, how to how to improve my listening skills and how to stay more present is probably the biggest question I'm uh, I'm trying to okay. get. Okay. So being present is very different from how do I deal with distractions, okay? Being present is how you turn up to a conversation and how do I avoid distractions is how do I stay in the conversation. So I want to talk about three rituals or tips um, for me one of the things I do consistently before I dial into any meeting, before I turn up to any meeting face-to-face, is I play one of three songs. And the reason I'm playing songs is it literally will rewire your brain, your presence, and your focus. One song's called Marconi Union. It's a really slow yeah, beat at about, yeah, about 80 beats per minute. The next one, about 120 beats per minute, is called Easy by Groove Armada. It's it's an upbeat song, but it's it's not pacey. And then the, the last one about one, oh, it could be one fifty, could even be one eighty five. Remember the name by Fort Minor. It's a it's a rap song. It's um, it's a, a surprising it goes pretty song. Fast. It goes pretty fast, and and most people are surprised uh, that I listen to that. I use the tempo of those songs to dial into the outcome that the people want in the meeting I'm about to attend. So if if I'm going into a really difficult, complex, long-term kind of conversation, it's Marconi Union. If I'm delivering a fun, interactive after-lunch workshop, it's Easy by Groove Armada. And if I need to be high energy and hold a room of a 1,000 people across the Asia-Pacific on a video conference, which I had to do regularly and still do, ironically, um, that was the song and there's some meaning in the song as well that kind of carried me through. So number one, um, notice where your listening batteries are right now. So do this exercise along with Luke. Luke, right now, for you to describe where your listening batteries are at right now, are they green? Are they orange, are they yellow, or are they red? They're green. Awesome. So many of us don't even notice where our listening batteries are. If your listening batteries are yellow or red, stop, play a song, get up away from your desk, do whatever you can to physically move. Uh, Play a song. That'll help to rewire the circuitry in your brain. Second thing is drink a glass of water. And drink a glass of water every 30 minutes in a, in, in a meeting. Um, a hydrated brain is a listening brain. The brain, 5% of body mass, but it consumes 26% of blood sugar. And listening is a really complex cognitive task. You want all those things to be firing. And so number one, play the music. Number two, make sure that you're drinking. Number three, um, Connect with your breathing, in through your nose, out through your mouth. When you get distracted, this is what I do, Luke, and he'll have a little giggle about the size of this glass of water that's on my desk. Um, If I get distracted, I'll just touch the glass of water, and that's a a physical reminder for me. Okay, it's okay to be distracted back into the conversation. So using the touch Uh, of the glass is your cue to get get back into the conversation. And, it, and if I really get distracted, Luke, I will literally put a finger into the glass of water to create some kind of different sensation for me physically Wow! Uh, to, to be present. Now, the one thing I would say to you is a good listener asks the question, how do I stop being distracted? A great listener goes, how quickly can I recover from a distraction? Because we're mm. always going to be distracted. We listen at 400 words per minute, but they can only speak at 125. So you're listening four times faster and you're probably playing this podcast 1.5 speed, maybe two times speed, up to you. So finally, use the technology. Don't let the technology use you. For bonus points, just switch your notifications off and there are automatic functions in Android and iOS and Windows that can connect your calendar to any conversation and switch off all your connected devices. The biggest villain today, Luke, when it comes to distraction from connected devices is the connected watch. This is mm. coming up on a yeah, really big vector. And and it's hilarious as as the person speaking will subtly kind of look at their watch. Yeah. 
There's about nothing every, subtle about it ever. About about every thirty seconds, and um, you know. So, by the way, if you, if you're speaking to one of those people looking at their watch, um, just stop speaking when they look at their watch, and like this magnetic pole attraction, they can't help but come back into the conversation because they think they just missed something. Right. When they do it a second time, you do the same thing. And when they do it a third time, simply say, look, I just want to check, is now a good time for our conversation? And they'll say, as one of my clients did, it's actually not. My mother-in-law's fallen over. She's broken her hip. And between me, my son, my sister-in-law and my husband, we're trying to figure out who can get to her first because there's an ambulance on the way. Right. That's way more important than anything they're saying to us. And in that moment, again, Luke, notifications are good, Mm. right? Notifications are good. So use the technology. Don't let the technology use you. Be choiceful in where you use it. By the way, if you are on call, If you're the head of a production line, you're the head of a medical facility, there is a reason for you to have your phone on at the beginning of the meeting. Just announce to everybody, look, my child's sick. Mm. Um, I've just been notified by childcare and I'm expecting a call. Um, If I have to take it, I'll I'll have to leave the room. Just letting you know, everybody, as opposed to... As opposed to somebody steps out of the room and takes a call and everybody's got to lay a meaning on it, all of a sudden there's deep empathy. Everyone can relate to a sick child and if the phone rings, everyone's going to hope it's the best. Awesome. Oscar Trimboli, um, your book is called How to Listen and we can get that from where? You can get that from wherever good books wherever are sold. Wherever good books are sold. And where can we get hold of you, mate? listeningquiz.com and it's not important to get a hold of me i think it's really important for you to get connected with your listening barriers if you take the listening quiz you'll get the report that tells you what's getting in your way and then if you want to connect with me there's lots of information about that on the report oscar trimboli it's been great listening to you today and um thank you for coming on the reset podcast thanks for listening cheers mate Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm Luke Mathers, and we'll see you next time.